All right. Good morning, everybody. All right. It's great. Great to see everybody out this morning. Um, I'm Ryan James. Greg Hesterman. And we are both uh, elders here at New Life. And if there's one thing we are absolutely proving this morning is that it takes two of us to take the place of Paul. <laughs> um, so we're excited to uh, be able to share out of God's Word this morning. One thing I wanted to be able to share a little bit, um, just a moment today, is we've had uh, a week um, uh, praying for and getting updates on the Engen family and, and Charlie in particular, who's who's gone from being in South Dakota uh, in a hospital for most of last week, and then they were working towards getting him home. And by God's grace, uh, the, the funds were provided, an airplane was provided, and he was stable enough to make the trip on, I think it was Tuesday night into Wednesday morning. And so he is here at OSU. Uh, praise God for that. Um, uh, Kelly and the rest of the family wanted me to just pass along how grateful uh, they are for all of, of your prayers. And uh, there's been meals provided this week. And there's still a, a GoFundMe that's been distributed that if you um, are, are feeling led to go and contribute, because there's uh, lots of needs uh, from a financial standpoint. Um, but um, we're grateful. There's been a positive movement this morning. Uh, he, uh, they're looking to give him some liquid water today and hoping to get him out of ICU today. And uh, Kelly says that the first steps towards home are hopefully um, in process here. So um, keep praying. Praise God for the, the movement this week and that he is, he is in Ohio. And just praise God for that. Um, so uh, we, wanted to, uh, we wanted to continue on this morning in our series in Colossians. And uh, really, as we now, we exit, well, we aren't really exiting, but we're on our way through chapter one. And as you look past chapter one into the next uh, two, two and three and, and four, it's really kind of a short letter. We recognize that what Paul is really doing here is he was refuting some false teachers of the day. And, and he's doing this by writing a letter to a church that he actually has never been to personally, but nonetheless is praying to and in support of. And so where we're headed today, as we are, are going to start in chapter 1, verses, verse 15, is that the big idea of today, as, as Paul does this refuting, is to make a case that Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully God. And that includes Jesus as creator, Jesus as head of the church, and Jesus as redeemer and reconciler of sin. And so, as we've been thinking about this idea this week of, of Jesus being fully God, it got, it got us thinking about just some of the practical every day of, of how we live and operate. And it seems like in many cases, there's, there's something in us that wants to create, to leave something behind, to... To, to build. By the way, speaking of building, anybody notice that we got a new look this morning? Yeah, yeah. How cool is that? As as you know, we've been here now for over a year, but uh, this is the first the first something that's that's concrete. And between uh, Trevor and Paul, kind of coming up with an idea, and and Greg, uh, you know, put it into practice and and got things pulled together and built. What a cool thing to add to our Sunday morning worship. But, so thank you. That was really cool. Um, but, uh, but anyway, we started thinking about 
what is, what's in us that we want to leave something behind? And, and I know you do a lot of building and making and other things. What, what drives you in that? It's, for me, it's pure joy. I work at a, a job that I love, but it's pretty stressful. And when I get to work and make sawdust, um, it's just something that <laughs> takes my mind in a totally different direction. And I, I love the aspect of taking something from a blank piece of paper, designing it, than actually taking rough sawn lumber. So you go to Home Depot and buy lumber off the shelves, right? I don't do that. I go to a sawmill, it's still got all the rough cut on it, bring it home, mill it up, get it to size, get it to the proper dimensions, start cutting it out and putting it together. And the best part is at the end, like one of the things I've done for all my, my grandbabies, I have three grandbabies, for their first birthday, I made each of them a special toy, um, a rocking airplane, a rocking Jeep, and a play kitchen. And to see them get on it, and and enjoy it and actually physically respond to me and give me what we call lubbins in my house. Um, there's really no greater joy than to get to do that. That's cool. So I, I'm I'm hearing you say you know, it sort of goes from the vision of of, of what it's going to look like. You've got to set a plan, or you wouldn't even know what to go what to go get, and then doing the work to create. And then perhaps most importantly. You're not just doing it to, to waste time. You're, right. you're doing it. You're, like in the case of the toys, I mean, you're conveying something that, that they're going to be able to look back on forever yeah. and, and have this thing. You know, even, even for this, this is an, a, a care and, and concern for our church family that we've got a, a place that, that reminds us as much as we can that we're here to worship God. Right. We're here to worship. And so you're, you're thinking about how it's going to come across to the, to the people that you're doing it for. And then, you know, one, one last thing. At times, I imagine things don't go perfect throughout the years. Those toys can break or something. So what happens then? I think of more in the building process. There's a few phrases that I use. Doggone it is one of them. And when my, whenever my wife hears that, she knows something did not go well. Um, and the other thing, too, is in everything, I could go up right now and point to you where the flaws are. Because I see them, because I'm, I created it, and I know where the mistakes were made or what I could have done better. And if I were to do it again, how to make it right mm -hmm. uh, the second time. But, but, yeah, there's definitely setbacks, and things do break, and I can go back and repair them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it just, it just strikes me that, you know, we, as being Im image bearers of God, that we also have this, this, creative, this creative bent in us and each one of those steps are, are in a way, they, re, they remind us of, of the steps uh, within the, the creation process and, and even all the way through towards, towards fixing the problem. Right. And that's really what we're, we're here to talk about every Sunday is the solution of sin that we all need in a Savior, the, the repair of the brokenness, if you will. And, and for like, I don't know, for those of us like me, I, I see this happen too, but it's in a little bit different way. I'm, I'm not much the construction person, but, but I, I, can, I see it happen in whether it's, it's building a, um, a work project from the ground up. You, you see something come to fruition. Or maybe it's a, a not for me, but for, for some of you maybe, a car repair project or a car restoration project where you know that there's a problem with a vehicle. It's going to cost you, you know, $1,500 to take it to the shop. And you can go and you can, you know, with a little bit of blood, sweat, and tears, 
you can bring this car back to life. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, you know, you, just, you stand back and have an appreciation for the, the talent and the abilities that, that God has given us so that we can go do some of those, those things. There's, it can be in, in gardening and cooking. Um, so many different examples. If it's, if it's me, just, uh, you know, caulking the bathtub could be something that I, I'm standing back and going, wow, I did a nice job at creating that caulk line. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, small, small gestures, but, um, but, but as I was mentioning, the big idea today, and this is something you, you might want to write down again, is that, is that Paul begins describing and making a strong case for this, the idea and the truth that Jesus is fully God. He is, he is creator, he's the head of the church, and he is redeemer and reconciler. And so, I, I want to start off, you can turn to your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. And we are going to read in verses 15 through 17 in Colossians chapter 1. He, referring to Jesus, who actually Paul introduced to us last week in the final verse of the previous, uh, previous uh, paragraph there, where he... Where he we were praying and thanking God for delivering us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that's the, that's the introduction to, to, uh, to, uh, to Jesus there. And so it rolls right into verse 15 where it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So let's go back to that first phrase of he is the image of the invisible God. I want to flip over just for a moment to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, because it does a great job of describing as well this idea of he being the, the image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 3 says this, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. the exact imprint of his nature. It's interesting there, the term, uh, the term for, for radiance is, is used only once there. And it's not, it's intentionally and specifically not a term of reflectance. In, reflectance and radiance are two light terms, right? Right. They're, they're, uh, um, they, they say what they are. Radiance emanates from one. And reflectance is, the, is just that. It's the reflection of a, a source of light to another. And that term radiance is specific and only used once in the New Testament in that it represents that Jesus is the source of his own essential glory, which is, which is, um, goes along exactly with what we just heard in that first phrase of Colossians chapter 1, 
verse, uh, verse 15, is that he is the image of the invisible, of the invisible God. And so, um, and then the second half of that verse in Hebrews, it says he is the exact imprint of his nature. And so, Greg, when you think about the idea of an exact imprint, what, what sorts of things come to mind? Yeah, so for me, I, I think of in, in my creating things, trying to make two, two items exactly the same is very difficult. There's usually slight differences. But when you're talking about an exact imprint, I think of like a gold coin, something that's minted, and mm. that they look exactly the same, and there is no difference whatsoever. In, in our world, we pay a lot extra for something that is an exact copy versus something that, you know, I think of the old Xerox machines or yeah. what was the stuff that went between the sheets? Yeah, Some of my old paper. military records yeah. still show that. that carbon it, paper. It's not a very, yeah. yeah, the carbon paper. That's not an exact image at all. Um, yeah. I, I've, in the last uh, few months, <clears throat> I've become a, a collector of toy tractors, um, just a few. But they're sometimes not, they're sometimes really cheap. But they're sometimes not. And you know which ones are not really cheap? They're the ones that have the most detail and are most rare and are generally, you know, older, right? They've, they've, so there's not, whether there was a lot of them to start with, they, a lot of them haven't survived because they were toys. And, and for decades, kids played with them and broke them. But even though they're a replica, they can't go plow a field, Right. They cannot They're go plow a field for sure. They aren't that size. They're <laughs> one sixteenth generally uh, of the size of a real tractor. But yeah, you see that in the price tag as the, as the level of detail and this idea of exact imprint. In fact, really what we're talking through today in this section of 10 verses is, the, is an overview that Paul provides for the rest of the letter that he's writing these people in, uh, in, the, in the Colossian church. And so, over the course of the next few sermons, we're going to be hearkening back to some of these truths. And so, um, today, one, one aspect of this truth, of this exact imprint, comes as we look forward uh, just a page in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9, where, where Paul says, For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And so here again is this, is this case that Paul is making for Jesus as being fully God. And in this case, he's talking about fully man as well with a, with a physical body uh, here, uh, here on earth. And um, even, even further than that, in John chapter 10, verse 30, um, it's He's, Jesus is being quoted here where he actually says, I and the Father are one. He is the exact image of God. He, is, he has his unity in his purpose. He has unity in his nature. He has unity in his essence. We won't turn there right now, but in Philippians chapter 2, there's actually two, two descriptions of this, and they start with the word form of. And that term form also can, can also mean equality to. And the two words that that's used 
with reference to is Jesus being the form of God, having equality with God, the same as this exact imprint. And then just to make sure that the, that the recipient of the letter that Philippians understands, they say, as opposed to the form of a, of a servant. So you've got the form of God, equality of God coming to earth, not as form of a servant, but as God himself. So it's, um, it's, it's pretty cool. In, cha- in John chapter 5, there's five other specific purposes, but we're going to leave that for life groups this week to talk through those, and so you'll be able to look in to that. The bottom line here is that going all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, there is the indication in chapter 26 where God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And the reality is, is that we were made in their image. And we get to take advantage of some of God's qualities in doing that. I don't know, anybody have any thoughts about what some of God's qualities we get to participate in, that he, he can communicate to us a little bit and transpose onto us. There's some that he can't, and, or doesn't anyway, maybe could, <laughs> but he doesn't. What parts of God, God's attributes, can, can he give to us? Throw some out there. Forgiveness. We can forgive, can't we? We can't forgive everyone's sin or anyone's sin, but we can forgive one another. Love. Love is a great one. We can't love perfectly, but we can certainly love, practice how to love, learn how to love better. What else? How, did you say passion? Compassion. I'd say either compassion or passion, actually. But yeah, God is compassionate in others. He gives us the ability to feel for. But he also makes us passionate about things. God is passionate for his people, passionate, passionate for his church. So some... Those are just a few. There's, there's a long list of those things. And by his grace and in his image, we get to participate in some of those. But the reality is he is the pattern. He, he, does, he wasn't made in the image. He is the image. Right. He's the mold. And just like, just like the song that we just sang a few minutes ago, there is none like him. The mold was broken, and there, there will be no other like him, and, and we get to be made in his image. And so the other, the other aspect of that, in that second part of the phrase, is that, that he is the firstborn of creation. So the firstborn, sometimes it just means firstborn, like born before your brother or your sister, but in the context of, of Scripture in this case, it, it indicates a hierarchy, a, um, an authority. And it also indicates that Jesus was a part of that, uh, a, a part and was intimately involved and was creator. Jesus as creator. And so there's a, a couple of... Um, passages. I'm going to go to Psalm chapter 89, verse 26. And it is, uh, it, it shows how this idea of firstborn can be used. And this is the setting of, of with, 
with David, actually. Psalm chapter 89, verse 26. The psalmist is describing how God views David. And it says this, He shall cry to me, You are my father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. This is David. And I will make him, and now God says, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love, I will keep him forever. And my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of heaven. So this is God talking about David, making David the firstborn. Well, we, all, we know that if you look back on when David became king, was he firstborn? Nope. No, he had several, he had several brothers that were bigger, older, stronger, and he was a very unlikely candidate for, for king, kingship. Um, so Jesus was firstborn of all creation. Then let's go to verse 16. Verse 16 starts right out, flat out, and says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. By him all things were created. And just that little phrase there, Greg, is just absolutely amazing, both in heavens and the earth. There's one, one uh, little note this week that just amazed me. Um, does anybody know how fast a space shuttle flies? 17,500 miles per hour once it's in orbit. So if you fly to the sun, it actually takes less, less than a year, like 200 days. That's a long time, isn't it? Longer than any time I've flown. I mean, it's, yes. <laughs> it's more than, it's, it's a long time. The next closest sun, or this next closest sun, the next closest star any guesses as to how long it would take the space shuttle at 17,500 miles an hour to reach? Throw out some guesses. Huh? 30 years, that's a good guess. What? Light, light years. Um, I, know, I don't know about that. Um, yes, the answer is yes to that. But I've got a, a, a more understandable unit for us. 160,000 years. Imagine that. And who created that again? Not me. Not us. In, in a word, Jesus created all that we see here and all that we see and don't see in the heavens. Visible and invisible. Speaking of invisible... Everybody knows about DNA with COVID and PCR and all this stuff. There are 3 billion base pairs in one DNA molecule. Does anybody know how many sheets of paper it would take in 12-point font to list out the base pairs in that DNA molecule? 2,500 reams of paper. If you stacked them up, they'd be around the height of the of the Washington Monument or um, Statue of Liberty, somewhere in that neighborhood, in a spoken word. And as, get, by the way, we have one of those in every single one of the cells of our body. That's how much information God packed into us in a word. Jesus is creator. 
and he holds all things together as well. He, I, he, he keeps us, he keeps the space shuttle in orbit when it's up there. I think of how long it takes me just to create a simple project. You know, just a simple project can take days, some more complex can take me months, right, sweetheart? Months. And, and like you said, a spoken word, God created the heavens. He created amazing. the heavens, and Jesus created the heavens. Jesus wasn't created when he came to earth as a baby. That's one of the falsehoods that Paul was trying to refute here. Jesus was, was fully God, fully present with God the Father at the creative moment when they spoke all things into existence. They created something out of nothing. And it wasn't something out of something. It was something out of nothing. Nothing, nothing. Jesus is fully God. Jesus is fully creator. And as verse 17, he holds all things together. There's lots to say about what Jesus does to hold things together between the force of gravity, the molecular forces that holds our body together, that, that impact the water that we drink and use and life that we have. But it's remarkable that his hand holds the forces and holds life itself in his hands. Jesus is creator. It's amazing. Amazing stuff, for sure. Okay, so we just got discussing Christ's relationship with creation. Let's move on to the next verses and lay out the relationship Christ has with us as a church, as a family. Pick up in verse 18, it says, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. I just love this. I feel like this is Paul just getting energy, getting excited, sharing with us what he is about to say as he goes into this letter. It just, it, I, I get goosebumps, literally. Okay, so let's start dissecting this. I love that first analogy, head of the body. So I'm going to use Ryan here as an example. He doesn't know this. You look at Ryan. Where is his head located? Be honest. It's at the top, right? It's above all other aspects of his body. So there, there's his head. What's inside his head? His brain, right? <laughs> Steph. Good question. There's a joke there, I think, yeah. somewhere. No, think about it. <laughs> hey, Barb, he, that's a little too loud. <laughs> <laughs> so his brain is inside his head, right? Do you, have you really spent time thinking about what your brain controls? I mean, he's got a PhD in chemistry, something I couldn't even spell. It's amazing, but it's not just that. His personality, the words that come out of his mouth, his breathing when he runs those 150-mile races. There's something wrong in his brain that tells him to go do that, right? But when you think about what, that hap what happens up inside those, behind those eyeballs, it's just absolutely amazing. Think about what goes on through our head. We receive life-giving food, water, oxygen, it doesn't come through anywhere else but through our head. And then lastly, we communicate. We use our eyes, 
our mouth, our ears, as we are in relationship with other people to have that communication. And so when I think about this and how important Christ is to us as a church, Ryan, can we live without our head? Can you get by a day without your head? No. No, no. right? Some people have figured that out the hard way. But we know without our head, we're, we're effectively dead. And the same thing goes for the church. Without Christ at the center, it is a dead church. So I, I just love that analogy. Absolutely love it. Now, it goes on saying that Jesus is the firstborn of the dead. So Ryan already talked about this a little bit. But So Jesus was fully God, fully God in every aspect. But he was also fully men. And what happens to men at the end of our lives? Die. We die, right? We're not getting out of here. We, are, we do not get out of here. Except for the grace of God coming back. Right, which I'm all for. <clears throat> so Jesus did that. He died early than what he should have because he's placed on the cross by us. But he did die. He was there, though, at the beginning, at the creation of the universe, like Ryan talked about, and he precedes us in every way because he was there well before us, well before the beginning of the world. He's also God's firstborn son. Now, as Christ followers, we are brought into the family, right? We become a part of that, but there is that authority that Ryan spoke about is absolutely true in Christ. He is the firstborn son of God, which makes him preeminent. Now, Ryan, let's talk about that a little bit further and unpack it. What does it mean to be a firstborn? When I say to you, somebody is firstborn, what do you think? Superior, wise, um, good looking. So as a middle child, I think bossy, controlling, right? Amen. Amen. Yes. So there, there's different aspects, but, but we're talking about the authority and the blessing the firstborn receives from the Father. Yeah, they, usually you, receiving the, receiving the, the uh, inheritance, right. there's a, a preferred position. Greater gifts. Multiple, multiple places throughout Scripture, you, you see where, uh, where the, the, the birthright is given to yeah. the is either given or given away, but there's always an increased blessing as part of it. Yeah, I mean, you can give away, like Jacob and Esau, right, gave away his birthright of being firstborn. Mm -hmm. So in verse 19, it says, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The fullness of God. That goes back to that exact imprint, right? Fully God as a man here on earth. So let's, let's unpack what that looks like a little bit. So I want to go back to Exodus chapter 34. And in these verses, God is revealing himself to Moses. Because think about it, Moses really didn't understand who God was at the very beginning, and he was still learning, as we all are trying to understand who he is. So God decides he's going to actually pass by him. And, and this is where it says, starting in verse 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, 
keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving inequity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the inequity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. Now think about that. That is who Christ was as he lived in this world. Ryan, I know you read through this this week in your D group. Tell me what came, comes to yeah, mind with these verses. That, I, was, uh, I was sharing that that passage this week as we talked through it in our D group, the context of that is that's right after that, that Moses received the Ten Commandments and the tablets. He came down and the Israelites had built the golden calf. And God was upset. Moses was upset. Everybody was, was angry. They, he threw the tablets down. The tablets that God wrote broke. And then, and then they're, they're left in this situation. God is, is angry. The people are, are sitting in a place of, of uh, you know, condemnation. And Moses goes back and, and pleads with God. And ultimately, this picture then, when, when God was ready to let the nation of Israel go without his guidance and without his blessing, um, with, with Moses' um, uh, intercession, God came and he said all these things. He said, I am merciful. I, we will, and then a few verses later, we will still have a covenant. And you will still be my people. And just this great picture of the gospel in this earliest stage, you know, many, you know, a thousand plus years before Jesus ever would be to step foot on earth, that, that God is showing himself to Moses and the heart, talking about this idea of, of the essence of God transitioning in an exact imprint to Jesus got God the Father showing himself to Moses 1,300 years before the man Jesus shows up and says, I relent my anger against the people I forgive. Now, he won't forgive those that don't believe, and there was a right. lot of death in that situation, and the priests had to go, and they killed 3,000 men that day, and it was, it was ugly, but nonetheless, there's this picture of God's grace. Ground up the golden calf and made him drink it. Yeah. Ugh. Weird stuff. Okay, so let's pick up in verse 20. It says, And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So reconcile all things. And if you, if you actually go back to those verses we just read in Genesis, that's exactly what, what God is talking about there when he said, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving inequity and transgression of sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. That is what is happening when he's reconciling things. He's going to forgive the believers, but also hold accountable those who have not chosen to follow him because of his son. So for us as Christ followers, reconciliation without that, what hope would we have? Because we are just as guilty as a non-believer, we have no right to be in the presence of God in any way, shape, or form on our own. The only way we're allowed to do that is because of what Christ did for us on the cross. It reminds me of your, uh, your building story 
where you've got a vision and, and how, how, how God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit lay this whole thing out. They've got a vision. They, uh, they go and they do the work of creation. And then there's, there's problems. And they, they make a way through the, through the bringing of Jesus to earth as fully man to, to die a horrible death, to shed the blood, to cover our sins, to do just that, that reconciliation. There is a difference, though. God didn't make a mistake. Mine are mistakes. <laughs> They're legit. We made the mistakes. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, you think about it. So let's go back to Genesis and Adam and Eve in the garden before the fall. The relationship they had with God. Everything was good in the world. There was balance. There was harmony. But then the fall happened. Sin occurred, which threw everything out of balance. It caused death. It caused destruction. It caused pain and anguish. The only way to get back to that, to reconcile that, is to have the perfect sin offering. And the only perfect sin offering that can be possibly made is for the death and resurrection of Christ Jesus. And that's what God is working towards in all this. That is his, his working towards justice. Otherwise, we would all be condemned. Amen. Right? Not one of us could stand worthy on our own. Amen. So this is who we serve. This is why we're here today, this morning. You know, I think about it. There's, there's days when I let that thought escape me. Getting up this morning early to make sure I was here and prepared, I didn't want to get up. I wanted to go back to sleep. You know, the setup team, I know it gets weary coming in, setting up and tearing down every week. The children's ministry, the people back there taking care of our kids. Loving, unlovable people. We're not doing that to bring glory to ourselves. We're not doing that for any other reason than because God is worthy of it. And I know for myself, I can often forget the true purpose of our worship. And by worship, I don't just mean Sunday mornings either. Yeah, so as we, as we um, head towards uh, and turn into verse 21 through 23, let's go ahead and read that together. Because we shift from, from Jesus as, um, as creator, and we've talked about Jesus as head of the church, and, we've, and now we're talking about Jesus as reconciler and redeemer. In verse 21, says this, And you, <clears throat> oh, he's talking to the people in the, the Colossian church right now, so we maybe should listen up too. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in, this, in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, 
which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. And so here we have Paul shifting gears and specifically looking at the members of the, of the Colossians church and saying, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. It reminds me a lot of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and, and then 4, where chapter one, verse 1 and 2 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. And this, these Ideas that are reoccurring in Paul's letters remind me once again, and this is kind of just a side note, that this, this Bible that we look at is not just an isolated verse by verse by verse, but it's a collection of letters, especially when we're talking about Paul and his heart for the church. His heart for the church in Ephesus, which is the, the, the Ephesian church there, is very similar. They may be going through slightly different things, but the goal is the same. He, he wants them to be holy. He wants them to be able to be, to him to present, he wants them to be presented as holy and blameless above reproach. And, and that reoccurs in Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, when when Paul then is talking about husbands loving your wives as Christ loved the church and gave yourself up for her, that he might sanctify her. And this is referring to the church, right? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, the church, that he might sanctify her, the church, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the words so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. There's this call of, of the Colossian church, the Ephesian church, and by extension us, the church of God, to be presented to himself as holy and blameless. And how it is, how is it that we do that? It's not easy. We do it by his strength and his power. Colossians, again, flipping forward to chapter 2, which we're headed to in the next uh, few weeks, but I, couldn't, I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't help myself. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6. So simple, but so, so powerful. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Is that hard, Greg? Yes. Is that a yes and no? Is that a is that a complex phrase? Yes and no. That is a simple thing to do, right? Walk in him. It's simple to be said, but it is extremely complex to play out. But I love the simplicity of the message. As you receive Christ Jesus, he saved you as he saved me, so walk in him. It's our direction. So walk in him. So 
let's think about these things. We've talked about how Christ, his relationship to creation. We talked about his relationship with the church. And we've talked about his relationship with us as our reconciler. And that walking in him, what other response can we truly have? What are we called to do? Why are we here? Seriously, do you, have you thought about that? Why are you here? What is the purpose of this sometimes broken, most of the times broken, messy, difficult life we live? You know, I can't help but bring it up again. You, you're, you're making stuff story. What does it feel like to you when the grandkids look at the toys and are like, and are just amazed and in appreciation of it. So I'll share a story. This was with Owen, my oldest. And um, the week leading up to his birthday, I got sick. I got really, really sick. But I was bound and determined to, to, to finish this in time for his birthday party that Saturday. And so I did. I mean, I was dying in the garage, but I'm like, it's got to get done. And I got it done. And then during the party, I was in the bedroom the whole time, because I just was that crummy. But when they decided it's time for him to, we didn't wrap it, it was too big, but unveil the, the rocking airplane I made for him, I did sneak out, and he, they pulled the, the blanket off, and he got it, and he spun the propeller, and rocked back and forth, and then he immediately got off. At one year old, mm. walked over to me, and put his arms around my legs. Gives me goosebumps. I'm a, yeah, sorry gonna lose it right now but but that's that was just that was worth everything his natural little tiny kid response is worship and appreciation hopefully not worship but, but he doesn't know it yeah. that's his instinct <laughs> that he won't know, last he doesn't know the difference at, right. at one and two or whatever well, for sure his instinct is worship and thanksgiving god and jesus created out of an act of love for us with the with the ultimate responsibility for us is to worship, to look at their creation and have our only instinct be, I'm speechless. Praise God. I'm speechless. It's amazing. The distances, the, the microscopic, the macroscopic, the love that he had for us in sharing his creation, we worship in response. So as human beings here, Every one of us is a part of his creation. You, Jerry, are a part of his creation. Bruce, you're his creation. Sarah, you're part of his creation. And I think all too often, at least I'll speak for myself, I know all too often I don't appreciate that and demonstrate to preach in the way that I should. To where everything I do is for him. Whether it's dealing with difficult people at work, difficult people at church, yes. We, we have difficulties yeah. too, right? Difficult times. Yeah. Health this, concerns. The, oh. How do you, yeah. how do you, when you're saved, and, and our, our direction is to walk in him and and life is hard with sickness. Yeah. Still got to worship. In all things. 
Amen. Worship him. Not easy. And so as, as we go out from this Sunday, my challenge to you is we remember that Jesus is fully God. He is creator. He is the head of the church. And he is our redeemer and reconciler. Be reminded that he did that for you. He has done all those things for you. You are a part of his creation. And when you look in the mirror, and when you look into your family's eyes, and when you see the trees and the birds and the grass, that is who we worship. So we're going to wrap up this morning. I'm, I am excited about this letter to Colossae. And you think about, like I said, Paul, I feel like, I, in my version of the Bible, these verses actually stand out separately, almost as a song, and as, as an opportunity. He, he can't help his excitement for who he serves. And I, I feel that inside me, and I, my prayer is that each of us feel that way as well, that we can go home, and even in those difficult moments, in those difficult days, remember who we serve and why we serve him. So let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you. I thank you for building, creating this beautiful, beautiful universe in which we live in which we have the, the privilege of walking through and seeing. I thank you, Lord, for being the head of our church so we're not reliant on man to lead us, but that you can be the one leading us, Father. And Father, I thank you for being our reconciler, for being the one, the one true and only way for us to be redeemed because if it's left up to our own ability, Lord, we would only fail. And there is no hope in that. We just love you and appreciate you. And we hope that you hear our words, our singing, our actions, Lord, that they can just show you that we truly love and appreciate all that you've done for us. In your holy and glorious name we pray. Amen.